The Liz Callaway Show with Nick Summers, featuring Breitbart Talks on Talk 94.5. Joining us right now is, from Breitbart, the senior editor at large, Joel Pollack. Good morning. Good morning to you. Listen, I know uh, we have a time difference here, and I know you just filed an an article late last night um, about what's going on with the IDF in uh, uh, Gaza. I I did want to ask you, uh, before we get into the latest, we had heard reports yesterday of IDF soldiers posing as Palestinians going into a hospital. Tell us a little bit about what happened at that hospital in Gaza. Well, that hospital is actually in the West Bank, not in Gaza. Oh, okay. The, Sorry. It, it's, it's hard to keep it straight because Palestinian terrorists are using hospitals everywhere for their terrorist activities. But mm-hmm. what the IDF has been trying to do, even as it fights Hamas and Islamic Jihad in Gaza, is to keep the West Bank from exploding. These terrorist organizations do have members and cells in West Bank cities like Janine, and These cells are planning to carry out October 7th-style attacks. So the IDF has been going into the West Bank and arresting terrorists before they can do anything. That's one of the reasons, by the way, the Israeli military says it wants control of Gaza after the war so that it can go into these cities in Gaza and do what it does in cities in the West Bank, which is to take preventative action against terrorist attacks. What happened in Janine is that there was a hospital where three Hamas terrorists had been hiding, and they had been stockpiling weapons and preparing for a terror attack against Israel. Mm. What Israel did was it went in there in the wee hours of the morning with a commando team in which everybody was disguised as a doctor or a nurse or as an Arab woman, actually. And once they were inside the hospital, they moved quickly, They used guns with silencers, and they killed the three Hamas terrorists who were not able to get to the weapons that they had stockpiled, and they left. And it was all over in 10 minutes, and nobody knew what had happened. Mm. The surveillance footage of the raid was then leaked to Palestinian media, and it made its way out into the rest of the world. And people are shocked by the amazing and dramatic footage of this raid that happened under everybody's noses, but nobody noticed it. It's like something out of a movie. Even the Israeli public, which is used to stories of daring by their soldiers and undercover agents and so forth, was quite surprised by the success and the audacity of this raid, which killed three terrorists. And the the, uh, military identified who the terrorists were and what they were doing. They obviously had good intelligence from inside the hospital. But using a hospital for terror activities as Hamas did in Janine, as it does elsewhere in places where it operates, is a violation of international law. And I think the Israeli military did a good job. There were no casualties to civilians in the hospital, and there were no casualties to the Israeli soldiers involved either. I need to ask you, for those of us who don't understand um, the dynamics of where Gaza is and where West Bank is, because uh, the West Bank is, you know, borderline with it's it's borderline with Jordan. Who is in charge of the West Bank? It's a mix. So Gaza has been under the control of Hamas since 2007, and it's been under the control of Palestinians since 2005 when Israel 
pulled out completely. Israel had a few settlements in Gaza, mm-hmm. and it uprooted those settlements and pulled out all of its settlers and its military in an attempt to stop the conflict and to allow some kind of coexistence to flourish in that area. The thinking being that if Palestinians ran their own lives, then they wouldn't want to attack Israel. That, of course, was the opposite of what happened after the pullout. But the West Bank is an area of territory that was occupied by Jordan from 1949 until 1967. Jordan attacked Israel in 1967, and Israel, in a self-defensive war, took that territory. And it is currently divided between Israel and the Palestinian Authority, according to the Oslo Peace Accords. Most of the Palestinian cities in the West Bank are under the control of the Palestinian Authority, and there are various other lands that are administered either by the Palestinian Authority or jointly by Palestinians in Israel. But there are also areas that are administered by Israel, and there are some towns which are often referred to as settlements in those areas. So it's a mixed bag. But basically the Palestinian Authority, which is the recognized Palestinian government, controls the Palestinian cities in the West Bank. The Israelis refer to the West Bank as Judea and Samaria by the biblical titles, Judea being the south and Samaria being the north. The international term is simply West Bank. And the Palestinian Authority used to govern Gaza as well, but Hamas kicked it out in a coup in 2007. So Hamas has had control of Gaza since that time for 17 years. Wow. Joel, I need to ask you about the tunnel systems. And we had heard that the IDF was considering, um, or Netanyahu was considering using seawater to flood these tunnels. There was a lot of uh, worry about what would happen to the hostages that remained in Gaza. Um, we heard that there was a successful test done. Uh, what What is the update on, on the floodings? Well, the... Israeli military is trying to destroy the tunnel network under Gaza. The New York Times reported that there are something like 350 to 400 miles of tunnels under Gaza, which is astonishing if you consider that Gaza is a relatively small area. Basically, the entire Gaza Strip is underrun by these tunnels that Hamas built rather than improving the lives of the residents of the Gaza Strip, rather than building infrastructure or buildings, and so forth. And Israel wants to destroy these tunnels because they're used for terrorist purposes. They're not civilian tunnels. They don't open the tunnels to civilians as bomb shelters or anything like that. So they've been detonating some of the tunnels, but they also want to flood some of the tunnels. And they said in December that they had successfully tested doing so. They say now that they are doing so in some areas. They're trying to avoid the areas where they think the hostages might be because right. they're certain that the hostages are in the tunnel somewhere. But I also think there's some element of psychological warfare here because I think that a lot of the Hamas leaders and terrorists are hiding underneath the ground in these tunnels, and the notion of being in a tunnel when mm. it's flooded by seawater is probably pretty scary. So I think they're trying to flush out the terrorists, so to speak, I guess pun intended, Mm -hmm. and to make them come to the surface where they can be fought or arrested. Are are the families of the hostages pushing back on the IDF or the government in Israel? You know, I mean, it's a difficult issue because every Israeli has sympathy for the families of the hostages. 
But there are some hostage families that feel that Israel should pay any price militarily, politically, diplomatically to get their relatives back, and therefore they should be willing to stop attacking Hamas, to have a long ceasefire, to let as many Palestinian prisoners out of jail in Israel, and these are convicted terrorists, Mm -hmm. uh, as possible to get their relatives free. Mm -hmm. And that's obviously the demand of some desperate people who really just want to save the lives of their relatives. People have sympathy for that. At the same time, nobody wants to create a situation in which Hamas can go back to attacking Israel. So the Israeli public has to hold both of these uh, these ideas in its mind at the same time. Number one, that there are going to probably have to be compromises to get the hostages out if there's going to be some kind of hostage deal. At the same time, there may be no deal, and Israel has to complete its mission of destroying Hamas. It's very tricky because when you say you're going to destroy an enemy, and then you try to negotiate with that enemy, at some point the the enemy is going to say, why should I negotiate with you if you want to destroy me? Hamas is trying to use the hostages to save itself. Mm -hmm. And so we're at a very difficult point. There are some families of hostages who are very worried about the risk that is posed by Israeli military operations. But there are some also who say soldiers should continue fighting. The Israeli military should continue winning. We hope they'll rescue our relatives and we understand the risk, but we know that Israel can't afford to lose this war. So it's, it's very difficult. It's a very, very difficult and, uh, ambivalent issue, really. So Hamas, we talked about, I think last week, they rejected a hostage deal because they said um, unless Israel, uh, you know, agrees to end this war action, um, they're, you know, they're not going to release any hostages, you know, not a ceasefire or anything like that. And they think about 132 remain. So um, would Israel consider it a loss if they end the war before eliminating Hamas or decimating them to the point where they're no longer in power. I mean, uh, has it, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a lot. It's a loss if Hamas stays in Gaza Mm -hmm. in any kind of governing capacity and with any kind of weapons, that is a loss because that means Hamas would be able to threaten Israeli cities Mm -hmm. and Israeli residents along the border. That is non-negotiable for Israel. There is, almost a universal feeling in Israel that they have to get rid of Hamas. They were prepared to live with Hamas, even with the risk of attack and so forth, on the border for many years until October 7th made it clear that that was absolutely just not possible anymore. So that's the story. The Israelis are going to get rid of Hamas any way they can. Mm -hmm. And I know there are some people in the Biden administration who would like to convince Israel otherwise. There's just no way that's going to happen. Yeah. So it's just a question of how long it takes at this stage. Were you shocked to hear that there were United Nations Relief and Works Agency workers involved in crossing the border and doing all sorts of stuff related to the October 7th terrorist attacks by Hamas? They came over from Gaza. They, they're supposed to be providing no. aid work. You aren't surprised. Yeah, and I, I wasn't surprised at all because we've been reporting for years on this U.N. agency and how they've been indoctrinating Palestinian children to hate Israel, to hate Jews. We also reported on how there were Palestinian civilians who crossed into Israel with the Hamas terrorists and participated in October 7th, especially in looting some of the Israeli communities as residents were being killed or as residents were hiding and fearing for their lives. So it didn't surprise me at all that this 
sprawling UN agency, UNRWA, UN, United Nations Relief and Works Agency, that they were involved because they are corrupted by Palestinian radicalism. The agency should really be shut down. And some of the Israelis are saying, we want it shut down. We don't want this agency to have any part of rebuilding Gaza. Maybe don't shut it down now because we want there to be some sort of humanitarian relief in the Gaza Strip. We don't want society in Gaza to run out of food, water, and so forth. But there's no way this agency can play a role after the war in helping to run Gaza. The United Nations has been a nefarious presence, and we want them out. One last question, Joel. I have to ask you about the um, young Muslim soldier who died fighting for Israel. Um, He's being uh, hailed as an IDF hero. How do people um, take that and understand the dynamics of that situation? Well, in Israel, it's not extraordinary, although it is still a story. The soldier here is not alone. There have been other Muslim soldiers who have died. There were Muslims who were killed by Hamas terrorists. 20% of Israel's population is Arab, and most of that is Muslim. The soldier you're talking about is a guy named Ahmad Abu Latif. He was a Bedouin Arab soldier. That means he's from the Negev Desert in the southern part of Israel. And he was very adamant about coexistence between Jews and Arabs and Christians and Muslims in Israel. And he died in an incident last week, and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu visited the family. So within Israel, it was noteworthy, but not particularly Mm -hmm. unique. But in the rest of the Muslim world, where they are used to hearing horrible propaganda stories about Israel, and where religious sentiment fuels a lot of the hostility to Israel, people were shocked to see images of Muslim prayers at a casket with an Israeli flag mm-hmm. draped on it. They right. just they just don't reckon they, they don't reckon with right. Israel as it is. Mm-hmm. But there are lots of videos and photos of Muslim soldiers in the Israel Defense Forces. There was one I saw yesterday of a Muslim putting down a prayer rug on a train in the passageway on on a train in Israel. A Muslim IDF soldier doing his daily prayers on mm-hmm. the train while he was moving to the front or moving somewhere within Israel and that sort of thing is what you see in Israel. Israel, uh, Israel is a multicultural, diverse society, and it's not an apartheid state, as, as Israel's haters like to say. Yeah. And we, we recently had the soldiers that were killed in this attack, uh, and they're connecting it to what's going on in Gaza. You know, uh, the Palestinian Health um, Ministry is saying more than 25,000 uh, residents in Gaza have been killed in this uh, war action. I don't know if that's an accurate number, but they're saying that there's well, been a war declared on Christians and Jews. I can, yes, please do. It, look, it, that number, if you notice, never tells you how many of the dead are terrorists. So we don't know if the overall number is accurate. It could be, mm-hmm. but it doesn't tell us how many of those people were armed terrorists, especially right. because mm-hmm. many of the armed terrorists don't wear uniforms. They, they dress as civilians. Mm-hmm. The Israeli military has killed something like 10,000 terrorists. So if the number of 25,000 is accurate, then 10,000 of those 40% are terrorists. That's actually a very high percentage. That means Israel is killing a very low percentage of civilians relative to terrorists. It's not impossible. Uh, it's, it, sorry, it's not possible not to kill any civilians when you're in a war like this, especially when yeah. the terrorists hide among civilians. But that number of 25,000 needs to come with the mm-hmm. number of terrorists. Otherwise, it's just a useless number. Yeah. And and that attack on the um, American uh, base there, that, that post, 
what what did you make? Because they, they were saying that this was um, in response to what's going on in. No, no, it's separate. It's it's. I mean, it's all part of a regional picture. The thing that ties it all together is Iran, but it's not Israel's fault that the U.S. outpost was attacked. Iran is attacking and has been attacking American military outposts and commercial shipping and all kinds of things. And it's doing that because it wants to extend its hegemony over the region. It wants the United States to lose. It wants to control the Bab el-Mandeb Strait, which is in the Red Sea. And Biden has let them do it. By, you know, There have mm-hmm. been 250 yeah. such attacks. They didn't get away with this under Trump. But it's not because of what Israel is doing. It's because of what Iran is doing. It's what Iran wants to dominate the region. And Obama was happy to have that happen. Biden seems mm-hmm. happy to have that happen. Yeah. Biden told us he's going to respond. Trump didn't tell us he was going to respond. Trump responded. There's a real failure in the Biden administration and in Democratic Party foreign policy circles in defending this country, whether defending the border at home or defending our troops abroad. And I think it is actually going to play a huge factor in this election, more so than usual. Normally, the economy is the number one issue and foreign policy is second. But here you have foreign policy that is affecting our economy. You have attacks on commercial shipping that could cause inflation. You have the southern border, which is a national security issue. So I think that Iran is the problem, and if you remove the Iranian regime somehow, and again, I'm not advocating for some kind of regime change war or something like that, but people of Iran want their government gone. We should start helping them instead of doing what Obama and Biden have done, which is to try to prop up the Iranian regime to do some kind of deal with them. If we get serious about changing the behavior of the Iranian government, then I think we can restore peace and calm to the region. That's what Trump did. That's what Biden refuses to do. Mm, Absolutely. Joel Pollack, senior editor at large at Breitbart.com. Thank you so much. We appreciate your all your information and knowledge. Thank you. Take care.